Thank you for joining us for the sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of the Islands in Savannah, Georgia with Pastor Brooks Kale. Our prayer is that this sermon will be a blessing to you and it will encourage you in your walk with Christ. If you have any questions or would like more information about our church, please log on to www.fbcislands.com. Now enjoy this week's sermon. John chapter 9, 1 to 3, and 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, because they encapsulate my story. So I want to read those sections first. This is Psalm 139, 13 to 16, and God's word says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. This is John 9, the first three verses. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And then 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. A little bit of background on me, um, I have cerebral palsy. Um, for those of you who don't know what cerebral palsy is, doctors refer to it as CP. Um, in layman's terms, what it means is that when I was born, I did without some oxygen. And because of me doing without oxygen in the birth process, my brain was affected, my cerebrum was affected, and the cerebrum is the part of your brain that controls coordination and balance, and fine motor skills. And when I was born, I weighed 2 pounds and 12 ounces. I was born two and a half months early. And growing up as a kid, I focused on what I couldn't do. I could not run. I could not jump. I could not 
wear tennis shoes. I wore patent leather shoes with metal leg braces up to the knee. And I couldn't ride a two-wheel bike. Um, the things that I couldn't do and the daily reality in my life was pain constantly, all the time. And my life involved physical therapy a lot for hours every day, you know. And in physical therapy, it's not fun. They have to hurt you to help you. Um, so that was my reality. Now, on the surface, I had a mechanism, a way that, that I would get over, as, as I like to say. I just give people a million-dollar smile. And I had pat answers that I would say. If they asked me how I was doing, I would say, I'm good. How are you? You know, articulate. But it wasn't true. On the surface, if somebody could keep me in one place long enough to ask me how I was doing, everything was fine. But underneath, it was not fine. Underneath, I had two things going on. Number one, I had serious anger towards God. Uh, I would term it rage. It, it, it passed anger a long time ago. It went to rage with a capital R. Because, see, I had some wrong thinking. I thought that if God cared at all about me, which I knew he didn't care about me at all, didn't love me, didn't even like me. Because if he did, why would he allow the circumstances that were in my life to be there. So I was angry at God all the time. But I also had something else going on under the surface. Hatred for myself. Could not look in a mirror. Avoided it. Getting ready for school every day? No. Brushing my teeth? No. Um, no. No mirrors. Never. Because it reminded me of circumstances that I couldn't change. Um, I couldn't look anybody in the eye. If I was in a room with more than three people, I was looking at my feet and I was casing that place looking for a way to get out because I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. You know, and going to school, it was brutal going to school because kids would make comments, and they would laugh, and they would look at me funny. And when they did talk to me, it was always, well, why can't you do what we do? Why do you walk the way you do? Why this and why that? Kids are brutal. And so I hated myself. Uh, doctors call it self-loathing now. That's the, the, the medical term for it, self-loathing. But what it means is when you look at yourself, you can't stand what you see. And it intensifies the more time that goes by. The more time that goes by, the more you hate yourself. The more questions they ask, the more you hate yourself. The more looks they give you and snickers they give you behind your back, you hate yourself. And you internalize all that feeling. And the best way that I can describe the, the tug of war that was going on inside of me as a kid is a progression that used to play itself out every day. And when I say every day, I mean every day. After school, what do you come home? What do you do? You drop your books, you go to the fridge, you eat everything that it nailed down, 
Mom and Daddy make you do your homework. That's usually the normal progression after school. Well, with me, it was no different. But after I did my homework, I always ended up, every day I ended up on my mom's bed. And my mom was great because she had the patience of Job with me because I was angry, and I was angry all the time. And I hated myself all the time. And I would ask her, why, Mama? Why is God doing this to me? Why does he hate me that much? What did I ever do to him? She would just let me talk myself out. She always would say to me, baby, I don't know why this is happening to you. But I know that God loves you. And I know that God has a plan for your life. Day after day after day, that would go on. Till one day, I was 10. Go to school, come home, eat, do my homework, end up on the bed again. Why, Mama? Why does God hate me so much? Why is he allowing this to happen to me? Maybe I don't know. But I do know that he loves you. He has a plan for your life. And I remember at that minute when she said that, something inside me snapped. And I said to her, if this is God loving me, then let him get busy hating me because I can't take any more of his love. I can't take it anymore. And my mom was a wise woman. She knew that I wasn't talking to her. She knew that I was talking to God. I was railing against him, and it finally just hit that breaking point, and I snapped. And I realized, as soon as the words were out of my mouth that day, I realized that I needed help. I didn't just need somebody to grab me up and pat me on the head and tell me everything was going to be all right. Oh, no, it was way worse than that. I needed somebody to save me because I was drowning. I used to think about, oh, it would be great if tomorrow never came because if tomorrow never came, then I wouldn't have to deal with all the questions and all the looks and everything else, and I wouldn't have to not have answers to all these heart issues that I've got going on, and I wouldn't have to play the game, so it would be very good if tomorrow never came. I had that thought a lot. And, of course, my mom answered the way she always answers Hannah's God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. Well, that day I realized that I couldn't do it anymore. So I cried out to the Lord and I said, I need you to save me. I, I can't do this anymore. He did. He saved me that day. Now, my reality, physical therapy, constant pain, braces, all that. The kids' reactions at school, their whispers, their comments, their laughs, the whole thing, it never changed, but I started to change in the midst of it. I started to understand what peace was. I started to understand what joy was. I started to understand that God loves me Look at the lengths to which he would go to prove his love for me and for you. We just celebrated it last week. 
I was wrong. The circumstances in which God allowed in my life did not illustrate how he felt. They were two separate entities. He's crazy about me. He loves me. He loves me. And the things in my life that I cannot change, that I used to hate, he wants to use them for himself, for what he's got going on in this world. And what he's got going on in this world is something serious, let me tell you. So I remember the next day, the very next day, getting up for school. This day was different. Because it got to be in the mornings where I dreaded getting up, getting dressed, getting my book, going to school for another round of abuse. I resented it. But this morning, there was a voice. Now, on this side of it, I know that it was the Holy Spirit talking to me. Back then, I didn't know what that voice was. It was brand new. And the voice said something like this. <laughs> exactly like this. Canis, get out of bed. Get dressed. Get your books. Go to school. I love you and I'm not leaving. I love you and I'm not leaving. Every time something would happen, some kid talking to me any old kind of way because he thought he could because he was used to it. I love you and I'm not leaving. I would hear that voice. Audibly, I would hear it, just like you're hearing me. And see... That day at school, it was different because I spotted him. There was a kid in the midst of the crowd, and I knew that he was getting ready to say something. So I beat him to the punch. I walked right up to him, and I looked him square in the eye, and I said, my name's Canis, and the answer is yes. And he looked at me like that. He said, what do you mean the answer is yes? I said, I know you have questions, so whatever questions you got, Ask me. He said, okay. He said, well, why do you walk the way you do? And I said, well, it's because of this. Why is this happening? Well, it's because of this. Oh, okay. And we go on talking about something else. And I realized that if you address what people are afraid of, and you bring it out, and you talk about it, it's not awkward anymore. It's not awkward anymore. It's awkward when you have something you want to ask and you don't have the gumption to ask it. So what do you do? You whisper and you talk and you make comments. And see, those whispers and talk and comments, they have the potential to do serious damage. I know, I used to live with it. So I started to want to know God. I got hungry for this book. And I started thinking, well, if I was wrong about him, and he doesn't hate me, and he loves me, and believe me, I was dead wrong, then I want to find out what's on his mind. 
I want to find out what he really does think about me. And so I started to read. And the more I read and the more I sat under biblical preaching as a kid, the more I learned the lengths that God goes to show his love for sinners and the lengths to which he goes to demonstrate it in my life. And let me tell you, it's something serious. If you don't think God loves you, you're wrong. He loves you. So fast forward three years. Okay, it's 1989. The Shriners have just put a brand new facility in Tampa, Florida, and the Ailey Temple in Savannah sponsors me to go there. So mom and daddy and my brother pack me up, and we go to Tampa. When we go to Tampa, we meet with the doctor, and he says, well, we want to admit you. We want to have surgery. That's what we want to do. We want to lengthen the muscles behind your knees. So I have two incisions behind each knee and one on either side of the groin because, see, I was doubled over at the waist. And the doctor says, okay, we're going to lengthen these muscles and we're going to straighten you up. And then when we straighten you up, we're going to teach you how to walk again from scratch. So for the next 115 days, the surgery was the easy part. As much as it hurt, Nothing compared to six hours every day of physical therapy. They have to hurt you to help you. They have to make your body do what your body doesn't want to do, what it has never done, so that when you leave, you can walk out. And I refer to those days as the crucible of my faith. Well, if you look a crucible up in the dictionary, you're going to find two definitions. One of the definitions you're going to find is it's the bottom place of a furnace. It's where all the liquid metal goes in the bottom when they have made it molten and extra hot and all the bad stuff, all the dross is away, all the impurities are out. The workable metal goes to the crucible at the bottom of the furnace. Or it can mean a severe test or trial. Now, if you've ever been in the bed and couldn't do anything for yourself, then you understand what it was like for me. Could not do anything for myself. Nothing. And being in a bed and not being able to get out is like a prison without bars. You begin to evaluate your life and you begin to think critically about who you are and where you're going and what you want to accomplish and what is going on in this life you've got because you've got nothing but time. I can remember counting the ceiling tiles in my room. And I can remember it being 3 a.m. and it hurt so bad that I could not sleep. So while I was awake, I would pray. Me and the Lord, we talked a lot during those 115 days. And I told him, I said, I know you love me. Look what you've already done. You show me that. Look how wrong I was. And if you love me that much, you want to do something in my life, then you go ahead, you do it. You go ahead, you knock yourself out. Whatever you want to do, you go right ahead because you deserve it. You did all the work. Look what you did in my life. Because I firmly believe I wouldn't have made it to 20 if I hadn't met the Lord because I ought to kill myself. That's what kind of shape I was in on the inside. And nobody got to see that because I was way too much of a hypocrite for that. 
I would just smile and play like everything was fine. But everything was not fine. And 115 days later, I did. I walked out of the front door of that hospital, and we went straight to the mall in Tampa, and I bought my first pair of tennis shoes at 13. That's why I have a love affair with tennis shoes. That's why (laughs) I have tennis shoes on right now as I'm talking to you. Because all I have to do is look down at those tennis shoes and I realize how far God has brought me because I didn't have my first pair until I was 13. And all I have to do is see my tennis shoes and I know. Take a step and I know. Move and I know. Just what he's done for me. And I learned some things and I want to share those things with you. The first thing I learned is that God loves me. See, if you're confused about the fact that God loves you, then you've got everything twisted. He does love you. He doesn't die for people he doesn't love. The second thing is, is that if you think that the circumstances that are in your life that you can't change are a direct result of the fact that he doesn't love you, you're wrong. The circumstances that he has placed in your life by his will and sovereignty are because he wants to demonstrate who he is in your experience. Now, I don't know if you have a physical, mental, or emotional challenge. I don't know if something catastrophically evil was done to you by another individual. I don't know, and I would never, ever minimize your pain because I know what it's like to live in pain emotionally every day and not to care. And when you get to the place where you don't care, it's not a good place to be, but that's where I was. And I learned that God doesn't make junk. He makes what he can use. God doesn't make junk. He makes what he can use. If you have gone through something, something hard, something that has shaped your life and defined your life in certain ways and none of those seem to be good, be encouraged. Because God is working in the things that it's hard for you to talk about. And it's hard for you to think about. And it's hard for you to even address in here by yourself. Because do you know that we might be forgiving and loving with other people, but when it comes to us, we're ruthless. We might give love and grace to other people, but we have none for ourselves. And if you live there, you know what I'm talking about. But you be encouraged because God has not allowed what has gone on in your life to be for nothing. Oh no, it's for something. More importantly, it's for somebody. It's for Him. Now whether or not you're going to quit playing the hypocrite like I did for years and be honest about how you really feel about him and what you really think and feel about yourself 
that's where the rubber meets the proverbial pavement. Because let me just say a word to the people who are where I was. If you want to keep playing that game, and you want to keep hiding behind the clothes, and the cars, and the toys, and all the accessories that you use to hide behind, to try to convince yourself that what you really think about God and what you really think about yourself is not true, then there's going to come a day where all of that emotional stuff that you put in nice, neat little boxes on a shelf, there's going to come a day when the shelf cracks and when those boxes hit the floor. And when they do, you're going to need somebody. You're going to need somebody to save you. And if you're there, let me encourage you that Jesus is waiting and ready to meet you where you are and you do not have to live in the midst of the things that you deal with on the inside anymore. Not one more minute. If Jesus can take the things that I can't change, the things that are broken and twisted and messed up in my life, He can do it for you. And He wants to. So you don't have to live where you are anymore. It can be a new day in the neighborhood. If you come to the Lord on His terms and say, Lord, I have messed up my life. I need help. I'm drowning. I need somebody to save me. And if you're not there, then you had not hurt bad enough yet. Because when you get to the place where you would rather surrender everything to Jesus than continue one more minute where you're at on the inside, oh, that's His opportunity. That's the one He's waiting on and He's patient. So be encouraged. And if you're here and you're running across somebody with challenges, whether that's physical, emotional, mental, out there, when you do what you do on the day-to-day basis, at work, the bank, there's a couple things I want to tell you. Number one, if you have questions, be direct. Ask your questions. Because your looks and your comments, they do real damage. So be authentic. If you have a question, ask it. Number two, you have to remember that the person is not their challenge. The fact that I have cerebral palsy is not who I am. I'm Canis, who happens to have cerebral palsy. There's a difference. So when you see somebody, you remember that person is not their challenge. That person is themselves with a challenge. And remember that that person, he or she, wants to be as independent as possible. Now I know that independence, depending on what your challenges are, independence can look different. But the best thing you could do is ask how you can help. If that person says, I need help with the chair, I need help with the door, great. Do that. But respect what they tell you. If they tell you they've got it, they've got it. Say, great, just wanted to offer. 
Because remember, they're people. They want, to, they want to do for themselves as much as possible. And be authentic. You'd be surprised what can happen with you and a stranger when you're authentic. They might even get to be your friends. Well, if you're a family member of a person with challenges, let me speak to you for a minute. First thing you have to do is be honest about your expectation for that person, your dreams, your hopes for that person. That won't happen because of the circumstances that God has placed in their lives for whatever reason that He's working on. Be honest. Number two, be supportive. Be 100% in their corner, no matter what. Your job is infinitely harder than trying to do everything for them and picking them up off the ground every time you get a chance. You need to give them the gift of struggle. If they have physical challenges and they fall down, do what my mom and dad used to do for me. Candace, are you okay? Yes, sir, I'm okay. Well, get up. We've got things to do. It's, it's simple. But you have the potential to help or hurt their future development based on whether or not you try to do everything for them. If you try to do everything for them, you'll take their knees out from under them and they will not have the skills that they will learn otherwise. Well, what will you learn? Well, you learn perseverance. You learn tenacity. You learn dependence, not on you, but on the person of Jesus Christ, which is the point. You learn, as I like to say, that the game isn't over until you quit getting up. So keep getting up, no matter what. But if you try to do everything for them and you try to insulate them from the world, that it's hard, you'll hurt them. And be encouraged that God sees your tears. And He hears your prayers. And He's at work. He sees your tears. He hears every single word you say to Him about that loved one. And He's working. You just be there. That's your job. To provide a place of 100% acceptance all the time. That they can't disappoint you no matter what happens. That you're always going to be there for them. Because what you'll do is you'll give them permission to be themselves and not their challenge. It's revolutionary. You know, my dad was a commercial fisherman when I was a kid. You know, he spent 40 years doing that. And shrimping is tough business. He literally, at seven years old, would put me on his back, climb down to the shrimp boat, put me down on two feet, and say, okay, I want you to do this, this, and this. And when you get done, come and find me, because i got something else for you to do. The best thing he could have done, treated me like everybody else. Now, I'm not naive. There are things that I have to modify to be able to do. There are some things that cannot happen for me. They're not in my realm of possibility. But if they are, even if I have to modify it, I'm going to do it. 
because I'm an adrenaline junkie. If I can push my body to do it, then I want to do it. Just to see if it's possible. But I never would have had that attitude. I never would have had that if my parents hadn't let me fall down and pick myself up. See, their role was infinitely harder. All they did was pray and be there and pray and be there and demand the same hard work from me that they demanded from my brother when we were growing up. And I'm all the better for it because they modeled Christianity for me in our house. That was what was going on. We were following Jesus. And I can't say enough about them and about what they did for me. And, you know, if you're here and you have a friend, you might be in grade school, you might be in college, you might be in the work world, but you have a friend who has challenges. You see them all the time. Y'all are friends. The best thing that you can do for them is ask them what you need to ask them, but then hang around and share about yourself. Because see, real relationships happen when transparency is there. And when genuine trust is there. And if that person is going to open up and share with you about some deep stuff that's going on, then you have to do the same. Because otherwise, you're just talking at them. You're really not being a friend. And you would be surprised. What can happen when you be a real friend to a person who happens to have challenges? Well, what does it look like when you're a real friend? There's something I always think about from high school and college. I was absolutely a fanatic for deer hunting in high school and college. I loved it. But I had some issues. (laughs) But I had three buddies that decided that we were all going hunting. And they literally would take me in the truck and drive me to the deer stand. One of them would put me on his shoulders and climb the tree, put me in the tree stand, leave me to hunt all day, come back, climb the tree, put me on his back, put me back in the truck and drive me home. He said, see, told you you could come with us. We'll make it work. Those boys didn't realize what they did for me. Because it's way bigger than the deer I might kill or might not. It said something to me about what they really thought about me. Well, what did they think? They thought that I was a valuable person worth getting to know. And that's what you have the opportunity to do if you have a person who has challenges. Now, I'm not naive. I know the world that we live in. You might catch a little bit of heat from being a friend to a person who has challenges. But you know what? Some things are just worth that. And while those people are busy watching you and passing judgment, let them see something while they're watching you. Let them see what real friendship is. It transcends all that junk that goes on on the surface and gets down to really who they are as people. You'll be better for it. I promise you that. And if you be willing to stand up and say, Candace, I'm just a mess. Things in my life are busted and broken and twisted and they're just, I'm a mess. I'm a train wreck, Candace. And I, I have hidden it, hidden it for years. 
You take away my toys and my hobbies and my clothes and that pretty car I drive that's parked in the parking lot, and I'm a wreck. I'm still that scared, messed up little kid who doesn't know which way to go. And I know you're here today. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Whether you're a grown man, grown woman, boy or girl, I'm talking to you. You do not have to live there. Because, see, the mirror on the wall lies to you. It tells you things that aren't true. This mirror is the mirror you need to be looking into. Because reality is what God says it is. Not some piece of glass on the wall and certainly not the peanut gallery who are always talking. And you know that regardless of what you do in this life, somebody going to say something about it. That's fine. Let them talk. This is something way bigger than what they say and what they think. I'm talking about how you feel. What's happening on the inside of you. And Jesus stands ready to take what's twisted and broken and bent out of shape and straighten it out. Even if the circumstances don't change. The constant pain that was there when I was 10 years old is still there. But I'm different in the midst of it. And God has blessed me with something that's really cool. Everybody's pain tolerance goes 1 to 10. Mine goes to a 19. He has wired it so that I can deal with what He put on my plate. And He's greatly to be praised for that. Can't say enough about Him. This thing don't have batteries enough for what I could say about Him and who He is and, and what, he, what He has done in my life. How about you? Are you sitting here and you're going, Canis, I feel you. I understand what you're saying. I'm there. I have my own story. Well, great. Tell it. But if you're here and you say, man, I wish I had that. <laughs> you can have it right now. Jesus wants to save you right now, not three weeks from Tuesday, right now. Do you realize that, that he can make everything different like that, even if nothing changes? I promise, promise you that he can deal with your issues, whatever they are, no matter how bad they are. No matter how much you hurt, no matter how long you've cried, no matter what you think about yourself, no matter the fact that you hate yourself, He cares about that. And He loves you so much. It's not a game. It's action for Him. He went to the cross to prove it. He's not just talking out of His lazy boy in heaven about how much He loves you. He demonstrated it. Take Him up on that offer. Take Him up on His offer. To get out from under what you can't handle anyway. He never intended for you to try to handle it on your own. He wanted to be your God in the midst of that. He wanted to be there so you could talk to Him. So you could lean on Him. So He could carry you and you couldn't stand up on your own. That's what He wanted to do. He wanted to be God and you not be God. Let Him do that. Things will get real interesting real fast. I can promise you. And you'll be better for it. Even if nothing changes on the surface. He can use what you go through on a daily basis for his glory to make his name big in this world, which is what it's about. 
see, when I realized that all this wasn't for nothing, oh no, it was for something. It was for somebody. He was working the whole time. He didn't hate me. He loves me. And all this stuff was for him. When that dawned on me, when Joe Strange was preaching, and then I came here in 99 and I heard it. I didn't just hear it with my ear. I heard it in here. And when I realized that it was the truth, and that was the answer to my why question, why, mama? Well, I didn't get my answer until 1999. That was why. Because he wanted to do something to display himself. That's why. That changed everything. We have a remarkable capacity to go through things if we know what it's for. That's what it's for. And I would challenge you to do business with God. Now, I'm not talking about coming down front and making a show because if you come down front and you make a show, guess what? You're busted because God knows you made a show. What I'm talking about is doing business with God. Whether you come down here, whether you stay where you're at, I'm talking about getting real with God about what you think about Him and what you think about yourself. And if you do that, you be encouraged. And get ready. Hang on to your socks. Because He's going to invade your reality and He is going to save you. You'll never be the same.